Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. Most everyone who hears this message this morning would probably say that I want all that God has for me. Would you say that for yourselves? I want all that God has for me. I mean, there's, there's nothing selfish about that. It's just claiming what God has given us. I would hate to cross the finish line and still have gas in my tank, if you know what I mean. I want to give the Lord all that I can. The thing is, is that I want all that God has for me. You want all that God has. But I just don't know sometimes if I'm good enough or strong enough to get it. And the thing is, is that I hear people say they are doing the best they can. To please God. And I understand when they say that there's a sense of humility in that statement. But check this out. Experiencing God has nothing, nothing to do with your best efforts or performances. It has everything to do with what Jesus has done to perform in your life. You don't have to say, I'm doing the best that I can in hopes that you and your abilities are going to be able to gain more faith or more lessons. Sometimes the best things we can do is do nothing. Sometimes when God is silent, the best thing we can do is hold on. And sometimes our mistakes and our failures are what propel us to God's next level in our lives. Too many are letting the devil steal their joy. And you may be one of those that you're letting the devil steal your joy by being overrun by your circumstances, being overrun with guilt or addictions or maybe just a self-centered attitude. Let me be clear. This is a club that we are all members of. We all have a card to the, the Selfish People Club. We all have a card to the Sinners Club. As we know, Romans 3.23 says, For all of sin and fall, not fail, but fall short of the glory of God. That is why we need God's grace. That is why we need God's mercy. But let me be clear that that club is something that we are all a member of today. But today's parable could probably be illustrated from a cartoon I saw, and I wish I could have shown it to you, but I'll just describe it to you. Uh, There is a cartoonist, he was big back in the the 80s and early 90s, called Gary Larson, and he wrote a column or a a comic strip called The Far Side. Anybody remember The Far Side? Yeah. Well, anyway, this picture shows two mosquitoes on somebody's arm. And then all of a sudden, the one on the left is getting huge. He looks like a balloon compared to the next mosquito. And he tells the mosquito, he says, pull out, Betty, I think you found an artery. And the, the truth of the matter is, when we truly find God's will for our life, when we truly find the wisdom and the love and the purpose for our life that is found in this book, we will explode with God's presence. We will explode with God's Holy Spirit because when you accepted Jesus Christ into your life, you received that Spirit. Now the question is for you and for me, have we grieved the Spirit, keeping it from working in our life, or we have, have we fed it by the way we live? And by the way we read his word. And by the way that we seek God on a daily basis. Well, my prayer today is that through the preaching of Jesus' words this morning regarding his kingdom, that we experience here in eternity the life 
and the kingdom that we are to inherit. It'll be more than we can handle. And with God, he can handle small faith, and it can grow into a mighty one. But too many believers, they wait with anticipation for God's eternal kingdom and for Jesus' return, while all the while missing the current kingdom that is right in front of our eyes. Yes, we live in a messed up, jacked up world. Yes, we have an adversary that is working against us. He's called the devil and he is like a roaring lion seeking to devour those that call God their father, that call Jesus their savior. He seeks to take them out. He seeks to take you out. This is not a game. This is not, we're not playing church. This is life. There is an evil demonic force, I am sure, that is trying to cause something in this church. And we have no idea about the bands of angels that are protecting us right now. And although the devil may want to work in the technical difficulties, he is not going to stop God's word. And he is not going to stop your heart if you are willing to receive it. And the truth is, is that we must begin looking for Jesus, not only in his second coming, but also look for him in our daily lives. Look, I'm all for singing songs about heaven. And when we get to glory land and Beulah land and what a day that'll be and all of these things where we just get teary eyed and we think about what's to come. But God is God here, too we got to quit keeping our heads in the clouds and look at where we're at and look on a swivel back and forth and see what God has for us to do. And this is what Jesus is telling us today. So as we looked in the past two weeks, we looked at the parable of the sower and the soils. We saw that the seed that Jesus was illustrating through that parable was the spreading of the gospel message. And then last week we saw in the parable of weeds, we saw the reception to those seeds. In some grounds it took, other grounds it was washed away, and in some places thorns grew and just choked it out. But today, we're not looking at how the message was spread, we're not looking at how it was received, but we are looking at the true message of the kingdom of God, the power of his gospel message to enable you to experience his kingdom today and forever. Now look, I understand more about God as I grow in my relationship with him. It doesn't mean that I am God, but it just means I understand a little bit more about how he works. And I am experiencing his kingdom for what he has for me today. And yes, I have something that's waiting for me in kingdom to come in eternity. But for today, I'll take everything that God wants to bless me or give me all the good and even all the bad as well. However, the thing is, there are some people that have had religious experiences, is what I like to call them, but they produce no real evidence that Jesus is in their life as Savior and Lord. And they can focus on anything over their relationship with God. My friend, if you have any, if you have everything in your life and God, you are worshiping idols. If you have God, then everything else follows. Now, there are people, again, I've said it before, that the hardest person to reach is that person that prayed a prayer or walked the aisle. They left, and then there was no life change. There was no Holy Spirit, and all they did was get wet. All they did was walk an aisle. All they did was pray a prayer. Because I'm going to tell you what, as you look in the Scriptures, and I look in the Scriptures, those that met Jesus, those that accepted Jesus, 
What was the telltale sign that they became a Christian? They changed their lives. They changed what they talked about. They changed what their priority was. So if we focus on anything other than our relationship with God, that thing will choke out whatever God wants to do in your life. And we will be short-sighted for the kingdom that God has given us. Well, let's look at the, the scripture. We see here the first thing is the faith of a mustard seed. The faith of a mustard seed. We see in verse 31 of Matthew 13, he says, Here's another illustration Jesus used. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in the field. In the smallest of all seeds, well, it's the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants, and it grows into a tree, and birds come and make nests in its branches. Jesus used the mustard seed as an illustration because in the Eastern culture where he was writing this and teaching, the mustard seed would be seen as something that is insignificant and small. If you're ever to to see a mustard seed and put it between your thumb and your index finger, you would see that it is probably about the size of the end of a ballpoint pen. It's very small. But as it grows... It turns into a plant that looks as big as a tree. It gives them shade. Of course, it gives them the mustard as well. But the thing is, is that it just grows way beyond what it started out as. And the thing is, is that the small seed would grow to a mustard plant that would become large enough to provide shade and give refuge to birds that wanted to perch on its branches. The thing is about this parable, as opposed to the one about the wheat and the soils, Jesus did not interpret this. This was in the middle of those two parables to kind of say, to continue to prove a point. And so what we can take from this about what he truly meant is that when you're trying to to figure out what Jesus or the Bible is trying to say, you have to look at it within the context to which it was written. I walked on somebody talking about a story and you have no idea because you didn't hear the beginning. It makes no sense to you. In this same way, as we interpret this, we see that Christianity began with one and twelve disciples. Just like a mustard seed, it started so insignificantly. It started with one man and twelve disciples. And it blows my mind to think this morning we are meeting as a part of this movement. They called in Acts, in the book of Acts, they called it the way. We are part of the way. The first church was not First Baptist Church of Antioch. The first church is not the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem. The first church were people that were worshiping Jesus, period. Christians. And it blows my mind, as fast as fashion and technology change, it's amazing to see that the church is still active and alive after 2,000 years. I mean, y'all know, things change. The, the rate that things change are just crazy. I remember years ago, you'll remember Star Trek, when they, would beam, when they would beam the crew down to the ground. They would take out these things and flip them open and talk to the ship. Then back in the 90s, they made those and we actually had them. I mean, it's amazing when you see some of the things coming to life. And that's why I still got my pair of Jordache acid wash jeans in the closet, hoping they'll make a comeback someday. 
But look, those things, fads and, and, you know, whether it be music styles or fashion or food or whatever it may be, these things are cyclical. What's popular today is not tomorrow, but hold on, it'll come back around. But the thing is, with the gospel message of Jesus Christ, it has never gone out of style. It has never lost its power. People die for it every day. People live for it every day. And it will not be squashed. It will not go out of style. Because it is yesterday, today, and forever. It started out small, but it's grown to something that's huge. Also, why are seeds planted? Why are seeds planted? For the, for the purpose of, of bearing fruit. For the purpose of bearing fruit. Do you ever remember planting a seed or a seedling only to watch it grow over the years? I am amazed as I go back to homes that I, I grew up in, especially when I had the chance to go back to uh, Virginia and be able to see the homestead there. And, and I see some of the trees in the front in the backyard that when I was there, they were just little itty bitty. And now they are huge trees. Anybody, any of y'all ever do that when you drive by some of the places you grew up in? It's a little nostalgic, isn't it? It's like, oh. It's really cool. But the thing is, those things were planted there to grow. Some of you that may not have been raised in church may not understand this saying. Well, preacher, we're just planting seeds. You ever heard that one? Preacher, I'm just going to be a seed planter. That's where this passage comes from within these parables. When it comes to testifying and telling your story to others, this is where it comes from. Many of you remember the battles that you gave your parents over coming to church. You were druggies. You were drugged to church on Sunday mornings. Sunday afternoons, you remember discipleship training. Then you came back for evening worship and then Tuesday or Wednesday you had RAs and then Wednesday you had Wednesday night Bible study. Before you know, you have spent your entire life being drugged to church. Because you know what? You're here today. You're here today. And you may not have been one of those druggies that was drugged to everything, but at least you grew up in church or you grew up and had a youth group experience or your family had some type of church involvement and you are here today. Why? Because they planted the seed when you were young. So those of you that have children, don't give up. Those of you that have great-grandchildren, grandchildren, don't give up. Get them in church. They might not like it. You might not like it. But you're planting seeds that will grow. Now, I'll go ahead and tell you, bringing a kid to church is not a, a surefire, 100% proof way to make sure that they don't grow up and get in trouble. I'm going to give you that disclaimer, but I'll tell you what. It sure does give them the tools to get out of it. It sure does give them the tools to get out of it. Because i got news for you. I've seen some parents that they got to be everywhere their kid is. And they got to be at every party. And I'm not, down, I'm not downgrading that. That's great. But when they're 21 and they're still like that and they're still living at home, you might have an issue. Because here's the thing, parents. Let me, let me assure you this. If your kids want to misbehave, they're going to do it. They might even do it in your very own home. Do kids know how to get in trouble? Yes, because I was one. And y'all were too. Don't act like you weren't. But the thing is, you can't be everywhere all the time. But if they are God's child, 
the Holy Spirit will be over them. I have seen many a mama, many a grandmama, many a dad and granddaddy on the knees praying for their family member because they couldn't be where they're at. But they wanted God to look over them, and he does. Folks, part of this parable is showing you that planting seeds means starting in small things before they grow up to be big things. Sowing seeds is tough, but you're here today because of the seeds someone sowed in your life. In the book, The Case for Christ, Lee Strobel says, The image of God's kingdom is as tiny seed growing into a tree whose branches provide shelter for the birds is rich with possibilities. But to those whose hearts were closed, it was only a story about a tree. Don't let this morning just be the story about a mustard seed or a tree. Let, let it be an image that you see about what happens when we sow the gospel into the lives of our children and to our grandchildren and to our community. Look, our, our law enforcement departments here are doing the best they can. But there are not enough handcuffs to lock up everybody that's doing wrong. The church has to pray. The church has to sow. Only the gospel message will bring true peace. Well, the second image we see is that of yeast or the unleavened bread, as some translations say. In verses 13 through Matthew 13, verses 33 through 34, he says, Jesus also used this illustration. The kingdom of heaven is like a yeast, like the yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. Now, again, when you attempt to interpret this, Jesus is referring to a Galilean housewife. And so her labor would produce enough bread to feed more than a hundred people. So like the housewife, we must work. We do not have a choice. We must make choices every day to live, to survive, and prosper. Because that which you do for the Lord, our precious Bible study teachers, whether you have a full class or you have one class or nobody shows up, let me assure you, you are sowing seeds. And you are giving, making unleavened bread that is going to multiply. For those of you that are in our ministries, for those of you that are taking part in this church, this is inside your life and it is growing and is affecting you and your family and those that are around you. Folks, you can work your fingers to the bone to establish your earthly kingdom here. Not Jesus' kingdom, but your kingdom, your ranch. I think of that old show, Dynasty. You remember the old Dynasty show? What was the name of that ranch? South Fork? Was that it? Any of these, any of these big old movies you, you see, where you see the big old ranch and gates and horses and tractors and land and two, three story houses and all of that great kind of stuff. Or you see, uh, old Robin Leach who passed away, bless his heart. He did that show, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Or for the younger kids, MTV Cribs. There's two people that got that. <laughs> Y'all are the two. <laughs> but you see these shows and you're like, oh my goodness, look at all this stuff. But let me assure you of this. Someone can work all of their lives for a car payment, a house payment, medical payments, overpriced insurance, credit card payments, 
on Christmases and vacations that have long since passed and you're still paying for. College bills, child care bills, aging care, need I go on? There will be garages and homes filled with stuff that your family will fight over after you leave this earth. And all of these things in and of themselves are not bad. But when you put them before what God wants to do in your life, it is bad. Those things don't sow seeds. This sows seeds. This brings back results like the yeast in the bread. We see here that effort is work. This woman actually had to put some effort into baking this bread. And if she didn't put the effort in, there wouldn't have been bread. And that's a crime because if you're going to eat, you need a biscuit, right? You got to, I mean, bread, bread is my passion. I love bread. In all seriousness, it, it takes effort. Some of you that are older know it, it is a miracle if you know how to turn on your stove anymore because you just don't want to cook. Except those one or two times a year when they say, oh, would you make your famous whatever? Okay, blow the dust off the stove and, and get it cooking. It takes effort. Why do you put the effort into it? Because you love them. Why do we put effort into loving Jesus and living for Jesus? Because we love Him. And we love those that we are sowing seeds into. What would happen if you gave Jesus the authority to guide you in your work and accomplishments? It would require reading the Bible, knowing the Bible, praying, and it would probably change your priorities. But if you are in church today, if you are here today, or you are hearing this message, that means that God is doing something in your life. And whoever it was that sowed that seed, whether it be a mother, a father, a mentor, or whoever it may be, please call them today and thank them for sowing the seeds of the gospel into your life. And if they are long since gone, just say a prayer to Jesus and thank him for them. Because if you are here today, seed has been sown. Yeast has been rising. And then finally, we see that faith requires a full focus on God. And for that, we turn over to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. It says this, And it is impossible, impossible, it is impossible to please God without faith. So anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. What do we see in that? All it takes is faith. It's not your works that impress God. It's not how many plaques your name is on. It's not how many medals you have or recognitions or certificates. It's about your faith. So what it says is having faith Having a faith focus doesn't mean you will miss out on other things. It means you will be the best in those things you do. Because if you place God first, I promise you, if you place God first, you will be a better spouse. If you place God first, you will be a better parent, a better grandparent, and a better mentor. You'll be a better employer, or you'll be a better employee. Because let me tell you this, and you can take this to the bank. You will not please God with what is in your hands or what they have done if he does not have your heart. I'll say that one more time. You will not please God with what is in your hands or what they have done if he does not 
have your heart. Finally, I would say proceed with caution. There's something called easy believism. You ever heard of that term? Easy believism? What I'm proposing to you today is not some form of that, which is some take to mean all you have to do is pray a prayer or walk the aisle and everything will be okay. That is a lie straight from the pit of hell. We see that everyone that accepted Jesus walked away with a changed life. A life that has one that has bared fruit. Let me tell you this, and again, I'm not going to pull that old line, well, I'm not going to judge people, I'm just a fruit inspector. I'm not going to inspect your fruit. But if you are a Christian, your life will bear fruit. If you are a peach tree, you will bear peaches. If you're an apple tree, you'll bear apples. Somebody say, oh, preacher, quit. It's almost time to eat. But I'm telling you, I mean, it makes sense. You don't buy orange trees to get apples, right? A Christian bears fruit. And if you are not bearing fruit, my question is why? And then the next question is, what does the fruit look like? The great thing is, I don't have to tell you, because God already did in His Word. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, it gives you the list. Some of y'all got shopping lists when you go to the store. I get them all the time. I get a little notification. Donna has added a shopping list into your app. And I go get what's on the list if I know what's good for me. You want to know what's on the list of spiritual fruit that we should be bearing? It says it right here. Again, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. (laughs) I'm going to tell you, some days I don't have all those fruit in my basket. But you know what? I try. And if people see these types of things coming out of the way we live our life, then you can be rest assured We are fruit-producing, Bible-believing, changed Christians. Whether you were delivered from some miraculous circumstance or you've been a Christian as long as you remember, if you've got the fruit, you've got the Spirit. If you don't bear the fruit, you don't have the Spirit, or you have decided not to and grieved Him so much to where He's not even going to bother. Saved people bear fruit. We are called to screen our lives through the grid of God's Word. People say, well, I want to know what God's will for my life is. You take any decision, you know, what, what do I need to do next week? What, what do I need to do with my life? What do I need to do with this situation I'm in at work? Or what do I have to do with this relationship? Or what do I have to do with this thing that I'm, I'm wondering about? You sprinkle it, put it through God's word, whatever comes out on the other end. That is God's will for your life. So we see that it's not easy believism. Look. I've seen churches and I've seen places to where all they do is they say, hey, raise your hand if you want to be saved. Woo! Everybody raises their hand. They mark the numbers and then they have just had revival. And those people will leave not having a bit of life change in their life. I'm not judging. I'm just saying, as a pastor, I don't want to do anything that would leave people in a state of thinking they're saved when they're not. 
If you are saved, you are changed. And there's the devil, the devil. There will be opposition. Because you see in this passage, it mentioned the birds, right? That, that the mustard seed would produce a plant big enough for the birds to stay in. Well, you could also interpret this if you wanted to. Remember, if you remember back in the other parables of the, the seed and the wheat, the birds represented evil that was coming to try and take what is God, God is doing away. Folks, Satan is working as hard as he can to introduce false doctrine, and he's trying to make it grow alongside the work that God is doing to make people think that they're saved when they're really not. In conclusion, I would say this. A little faith goes a long way. I'm going to read you this story. This is by a man you may have known. His name is Steve Jobs. Most of you have his product in your purse or in your pocket or somewhere. It's called an iPhone or iPad or i whatever. We are living in a technical revolution. Computers that were once housed in warehouses are now inside our pockets. Purses and phones. One of the key influencers of this revolution was Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple Computers. Steve was just 21 when he and Steve Wozniak invented the first Apple computer. Jobs and Wozniak offered their invention to Atari. Anybody remember Atari? I remember that. That was good times. They weren't interested in the big bucks. All they wanted was a salary and the opportunity to continue their work. But Atari declined. They didn't want it. They offered it to Hewlett-Packard, but Hewlett-Packard declined it. So it seemed that Jobs and Wozniak alone couldn't see their possibilities. So Steve Jobs sold his Volkswagen and Wozniak sold his calculator. And with the $1,300 that gave them, they formed Apple Computers. The company was named Apple in honor of a summer job that Steve had spent working in an apple orchard. The rest is history. By all accounts, Steve Jobs is a visionary and spurred on by the vision that he built a successful company. But Jobs soon discovered that as the company was building, that his vision was being short-sighted because he was having to get caught up in all these other things. And so he decided to hire somebody that has some great management skill. So he went and he approached John Scully, the president of PepsiCo at the time. And there was absolutely no reason that Scully should have left PepsiCo, but he did. And here's the sales pitch that Steve Jobs asked him, and I love this. He says, so, do you want to spend the rest of your life selling sugared water, or do you want to change the world? Do you want to spend the rest of your life selling sugared water? Or do you want the world? Boy, that was some great insight. Indeed, Jobs and Scully did change the world. Folks, Jesus comes to you with this question. Do you want to spend the rest of your life selling sugared water? Or do you want to change the world? Now, you may not be part of PepsiCo. You may not sell sugared water, but you get what he's saying here. Do you want to continue to do the mundane things you do in your own strength? Or do you want to change the world? All it takes is the faith of a mustard seed. All it takes is yeast, the size of yeast, which is insignificant. 
God will reward you when you seek him. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. The effort you place in your faith in God today will bring God's kingdom to you now and forever if you just put forth the effort. (laughs) 